let's, uh, let's dive into today. Um, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23. Um, we're still on our, our journey through. If you're, if you're uh, new to the church, we're on a journey through the New Testament. We started in Matthew. Obviously, we didn't start very long ago. And we're, we're assuming this isn't going to take terribly long. We should be done in 10 years. It should be fine. Um, but at least I know what I'm preaching about. So it works out really good for me. Um, but today, finding ourselves in chapter 13, and we're looking at this start of Jesus teaching through the parables. Um, he does some parable-ish teaching earlier on in Matthew, but this is when it really, really begins. Um, and this is a very sobering section of scripture. Not because it's like overly convicting. I'm not going to you know, beat you over the head with my Bible this morning. Um, but it's because it illustrates an incredibly powerful truth about human nature. And I find it interesting that this is where Matthew decides to start the explanation of Jesus' teaching through the parables. Um, now, there are roughly 23 parables in Matthew, 24, 25, depending on who you're arguing with, which theologian is, 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 uh, is talking about it. Um, but seven are in this chapter alone. In chapter 13, there are seven parables, and Jesus explains two of them. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff crammed into this chapter, which is why we're not going to get through the whole thing today, uh, unless none of you have lunch plans. No, no, no one interested in staying? Okay, we'll, we'll, do, we'll just stick with what I normally plan for today. Um, so as we begin, there are two purposes I see for what Matthew is doing here. The first one is Jesus is giving us the parable of the sower. That's pretty obvious. He teaches it and then he explains it. And the second one is Jesus gives us his purpose as to why he's teaching in parables from this point forward. And in short and this is what I think is the sobering truth, is that the parables, Jesus' teaching in the parables, is the beginning process of the sorting between sheep and goats. It's the beginning of the sorting process. And that might not be uh, totally obvious when you actually read the passage, but when I explain it, you'll understand this. Because teaching in parables divides. And it divides not outside the church, it divides inside the church. And I'll, I'll explain to you what I, what I mean by that. It kind of lets you know where you are. Now, and this is one of the two parables in this chapter where Jesus not only tells us the parable, but he actually interprets it for us. And this is a great way to understand, uh, learn how to understand parables, is to learn what Jesus says he means. Because this particular parable, the parable of, of, uh, of the sower, I have heard so many messages on it that usually begins something like, I know Jesus interprets this parable, but let me tell you what I think about it. I'm thinking, that's really ridiculous. How about what, I don't know, what Jesus said about it? I mean, I know I'm just off the top of my head. I think this is probably a good idea to stick with what God says it means and not necessarily what we want it to mean. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with parables... They're a very, very common first century teaching and along the sayings of the wise, and there's a lot that can go to them. Um, the, uh, the Proverbs are a type of parable. You know, like sayings of the wise are a type of parable. If someone says, you know, early bird gets the worm, that's a type of parable because it illustrates something in your mind. It can involve a lot of different things, but the most common type of parable teaching is it's a short allegorical story designed to illustrate one point. And that's so important. Parables are always trying to get at one point, one truth. There's no secret knowledge that the uber-spiritual can tap into 
that's written between the lines that only those who have a certain relationship with God are going to see. There's, if you look at your Bible, there's nothing in the between the lines but space. That's it. There's no secret message there. The parable is designed to illustrate one truth. Now that truth can be applied in different ways as long as you don't change the truth. That's the danger when it comes to allegories. Um, one of the things that we love to do, especially, and I can tell you this as a preacher, we love to allegorize the allegory. We can take any allegory and put our allegory to it, throw in a few metaphors, and we've got something that has not even close to what it originally said, but we feel really good about it because it came from me. It's not how this is supposed to work. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to take a look at this parable and I'm going to take a look at how Jesus explains it. And then after that, because this is not in order, if you're actually looking at the passage, it's not in order. I'm going to, I'm going to skip the middle here for a second. So we're going to look at what the parable says itself, how Jesus explains the parable, and then we're going to come back and talk about why Jesus is teaching in parables. Because believe it or not, the two, Jesus' explanation as to why he's teaching in parables goes right along with the parable itself. I think it's pretty interesting the way that this is, that this is stacked. So let's start right off with Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and they read like this. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. A great multitude were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow because that's what sowers do. They sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. Okay? So now let's take a look at what Jesus says this means. So the apostles, the, the disciples are like, so why are, why are we doing this now? It was a lot easier when you just like said what you meant. I, we're, we're not really, can, can you explain what we're going on here? This is taking a lot of thought and I really would pr appreciate it if I didn't have to think about my faith. At least that's not a common thought process, right? So this is what Jesus says. Starting in verse 16, he says, but blessed are your eyes... Now, now you, you have to, to, to pay attention to what he's saying here. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets, and now listen to this, many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word... Immediately, he stumbles. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and, cares, uh, uh, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes 
unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, some 30. So it's pretty simple what Jesus is doing here. But before we get into kind of the explanation here, I want to tell you what I used to do to this. The first time I got to teach this was at a young adult Bible study. And boy, I was so happy. I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is wonderful. The only thing that was bothering me was that Jesus actually gave an explanation of it. But I thought that was like, you know, more like a guideline than a rule. So what I did is I took this allegory and I re-allegorized it. And what, because what I wanted it to say was, I wanted it to talk about the responsibility of the evangelist. Good ground, bad ground, thorns, they all, see, the evangelist has to be smart. You've got to pay attention to what you're doing. So I basically taught it like this, that if you were talking to someone with a small or no amount of biblical knowledge, you had to take your time and break up that packed earth. Exactly. You had to get in there and, and, and soften stuff up. You had to fertilize the soil. You had to get your hands dirty. You had to spend time. You had to work that earth so that it would receive that seed and it would be fruitful. Isn't that great? So awesome. Because if we don't, the enemy comes in and snatches that seed from people that we did not prepare for God. Sounds so spiritual. Now, if you lead someone to the Lord and they have all kinds of enthusiasm, but no depth of understanding, you have to, as the evangelist, you have to make sure that they get into a discipleship program so that when the difficult days come, they will be able to hang on to their faith. And that as a believer, we have to help one another when temptation comes to us and follow after the path that leads, uh, leads away from community and fellowship, uh, and uh, when, uh, leads us away when, when community and fellowship come knocking. So when the world is, is trying to take us away, as the evangelist, as the spiritual one, we need to form a community, and we need to get people together so that when that temptation comes, we can resist. And that's what I wanted this to say. Now let me ask you something. Are any of those points wrong in and of themselves? Is it important that we bring the message of the gospel in a way that is understandable to the person that we're talking to? Is it true that we have to spend time with some people and we need to bust up some of that hard soil? We need to give ourselves over to this. It can't just be a one and done, you know, six shooter gospel, come in, shoot the gospel around, hope everyone gets saved and and, and then blow up. That's not how it works. Sometimes it can work, but very, very rarely. All of these points are true and they're accurate. So what's the problem? What's the issue? The issue is, it's not what it says in the passage. This is the the danger when it comes to dealing with parables and dealing with allegory. We can be reading something. You ever been reading through the Bible and like a thought comes to your mind, like God quickens something to you, like, oh, this is amazing. And immediately you think that that thought is in the passage you're reading? God showed me a truth that nobody else in the world for 2,000 years has ever been aware of. I am blessed and highly favored. 
this is amazing. God has shown me this thing. And you take it to someone who understands the Bible better than you. And you look what God showed me in this passage. And they go, that's a really great truth. Not in that part of the Bible, though. Or you step away from it for a little bit. And you come back and you read that text again. And you realize, that doesn't say that at all. What is wrong with me? You're human. That's what's wrong with you. It's a terminal illness. You never actually recover. <laughs> See, this is, this is one of the problems that we, that, we, that, we, that we have to deal with as Christians and as people who are supposed to be learning and studying the Bible. You have to remember that just because you have a thought while you're reading does not mean that what you're reading agrees with that thought. What can happen when we choose to allow ourselves permission to impose a meaning on a section of scripture, we twist the Bible to say what we mean. And if we don't correct ourselves, or if those who care about us who are around us don't correct us in this error, and it's a serious error, we'll start doing it in other places. We'll start taking pieces of scripture that are translated in English and we'll start making them mean what we want them to mean and they don't say that at all. The problem is we don't want to know what it really says because it messes with my vibe. I got a thing going. And if I start learning what the Bible really says, it's going to mess with that. And I really, you know, me and Jesus, like, we're like, we're like, we're like this. See, I don't, need, I don't need to know what the Bible says. What I need to know is what the Spirit tells me it says. <laughs> okay. Let me try to put that into a modern application. I don't need to know how to read the map. I need to know what my natural sense of direction tells me where I should be going. Until... Lord, that woman you gave me <laughs> reads the map and lets me know that I'm going in the wrong direction. You see, we don't get to decide what the Bible means. It's not up to you. It means what it means. So when we get into sections like this, People want to throw examples out. We want to, we want to change the meaning of something so that, it, so that this is what the Spirit was speaking to me when I was reading that. That's great. That's wonderful. Fantastic. Pat on the back. Awesome. Now let's actually get into the pages of the text and learn what Jesus was saying. Because that's the important part. And the simple truth behind this parable comes down to essentially this. The sower is anybody sharing the gospel. There are people who will hear it, and it's in one ear and out the other. It's that simple. There are people who will hear it and jump in with both feet, and then jump right back out when things get difficult. There are those who will embrace it, but as life goes on, they wander off. They get distracted by the desires of the day. And then there are those who will hear it, obey, and commit to the path no matter what comes. So the central truth, the single truth that is coming out of this parable comes down to this. Not everyone who hears the gospel when you speak is going to accept it. 
Not everyone's going to get saved. Not everyone is going to believe the truth. It doesn't matter how crafty you think you are. It doesn't matter how many Billy Graham evangelistic classes you've gone through. There is no guarantee that when you bring the gospel to someone, they're going to accept it. They may not be ready. They may not want it. It can be that simple. So here's the central truth of the parable of the sower. Not everyone will say yes. Not every seed grows. We're in a farm community. We understand this. Just because you plant it does not mean you're going to get the harvest you think you're going to get. Okay? I can take a seed and put it in dirt. That doesn't mean that I've done it well. And that doesn't mean that that dirt is ready to grow whatever that seed is going to produce. It doesn't work that way. Here's the thing. Making people believe, this is so hard for us to understand, especially if you're a parent. Making people believe is not your job. Can I say that again? Making people believe is not your job. Your job is to sow. That's it. Your job is to sow. You have no control over where they are when that seed lands, and you have no control over whether or not that seed takes root or not. It's going to depend on where they are, the path that they have taken, the reasoning that they have, how they have prepared themselves. You may not be the person, here's something really difficult for your parents to understand. You may not be the person that leads your children to the Lord. It may be someone else. Because your kid may actually be closed off to you. And they may have to go through hell before they understand heaven. That's not your job. You can't control that. And the more you try, the harder it will get. Your job is to sow. To sow in your life, to sow in your career, to sow in, your, in the community of faith, to, to sow in the community in general, to sow into your family, to sow into your recreation. Everything you do should be an example of sowing. That's our job. We're Christian versions of Johnny Appleseed. We walk through the world and just throw the seed around. It lands where it lands. And what grows, grows, and what doesn't, doesn't. It's not up to me. God does not grant us the power to change the minds of people. God grants us the ability to spread the gospel. That's it. So that's that core truth. But now, let me show you something that's also equally as irritating when it comes to parables. You can take that core truth, and you can apply it in other ways, as long as you don't change the core truth. You understand what I'm saying? So you think about this. Each one of you has the ability to be each of these people. At some point in time in your life, even as a Christian, you have the ability to be one of these people. Now remember, the core truth is just because the message is presented does not mean it's heard. Okay? That's the core truth. So there are times when you won't listen to nobody. No one. It doesn't matter. You have made up your mind. No matter how wrong you are, you're going to stick with it. I'm not only going to be wrong, I'm going to be catastrophically wrong. And I'm going to be wrong with a smile on my face. And I'm going to go down, still smiling, still knowing I'm wrong. 
Especially when people that you don't like let you know that you're wrong. You know, and you don't want to admit to them that you know, that they know, that you know that they know that you're wrong. They get it, so you just say, no, I'm not. Let me give you an example of this cognitive dissonance. When we know we're wrong, but we refuse to admit it. Okay? It sounds something like this. Do you know why I pulled you over? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, officer, I don't. Meanwhile, your engine is steaming. You know, fire's coming underneath because it's so overheated because you were doing 180 in a 35. You know, it's like most people who drive through Copenhagen. There's a lot of mornings. I don't have to. My alarm is usually set up, set, set up somewhere around you know six o'clock. I don't. It usually doesn't get to that point because I either hear a tractor that is in desperate need of repair going by, pulling something that didn't want to be pulled, <laughs> or I don't know what was on sale down the road. Apparently, they needed it. I'm thinking, that was not a car doing 30. <laughs> the satisfying mornings is that after that happens, you hear, <laughs> get him. So that they can also decide that they don't know. <laughs> Do you know why I pulled your... Nope. Nope. You won't listen to anyone, no matter how much truth is right in front of you. There are times where um, uh, you are there until things get tough. There are things you may have gotten roped into doing. It's not something you're passionate about, not something you really wanted to do. And you're there, I'll help. Things better go well. You know, I'll go if there's pizza. But you're not willing to stick through it when things get difficult. There are times that you're there until something better comes along. When you're young, this is where a lot of jobs show up, Yeah. Yeah, I'll be here until something that I might actually like comes along. There are times when we are absolutely the committed traveler. We're in it for the long haul. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Right? And there are even times when you're the sower. You're just walking along by yourself. And that's fine. But now here's the question. Do you recognize who you are from day to day? Because we know that when the message is presented, when the truth of God is presented, there are people who don't want to hear it. There are people who only hear it for a minute. There are people who will hear it and then walk away. Then there are people who will take it in and actually respond to that message. The core truth is that when the message is presented, it doesn't mean everyone's going to listen. And sometimes that's you. You have the ability to be each of those people. Do you recognize who you are from day to day? Because you can change from day to day. Some of you can change from hour to hour happens. The trick is, are we aware of ourselves enough to recognize it? You see, you can change the application a little bit, but you just, you can't change the core truth. See, the application in this one went from them talking about those people to me. See, now it's not those people who are hard, those people who don't listen, it's me who doesn't listen. But how about this one? Do you realize that each of these types of soil can also be seasons in your life? 
There are seasons when you're open to anything that God says. Anything. Name it. Lord, you want me to, you want me to, to, to sell my house and move to Botswana? Fine, I'm going. I got a pair of shorts, sandals, and a t-shirt. It's all I got, but I'm going. Can't afford a plane ticket, so I'm just going to walk. You know, you're, you're just willing to go. It doesn't make any difference what it is. You're in the grocery store, and you see someone, and God says, you know what? Pay for that person's groceries. You're like, I, there, I'm, I'm doing it. No, no problem. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my mortgage, but you know what? I don't care. It's, it's good. I'm going I'm to do this. Any, you're open to anything God says. And then there are seasons in your life where you're completely closed off. You won't listen to anything God says. That might be because of a hurt, might be because of a disappointment, might be because of a family issue. It's almost always because you're blaming God for something that God didn't do that you wanted that he may, or may, that he may have the power to have done. You, you, you know God can, let me say this correctly, you know God can, but you don't understand why he didn't. So now God is at fault for the outcome that you didn't want. Instead of coming to the place where you understand that sometimes things just don't happen. And we don't need to know the reason why. We just need to know that God had a reason. And his reason is better than ours. But there are seasons where we won't hear that. All we are is angry and it's God's fault. You might be in a season of excitement and you can't imagine anything going wrong. I'm walking on sunshine. You're about to get burnt. Sun's hot. I don't know if you realize that. I'm thinking of inventing this thing that goes around your door for people like me. So when I leave the house, I'm just bathed in sunblock. Just walk out. I think it would be great. I would totally do it. My dermatologist is like, I'm like, so how much sun should I get? She's like, none ever. You should just live on a space station. You might be in a season where everything is, now listen, this is, this is a lot, honestly, I find this happens a lot in the church. You may be in a season where everything is so familiar, you're bored. It's so familiar, you're bored. You know everything you're gonna do Every day, every minute, there is no change because there can't be change. You're actually in the life that you built. You worked really hard to get here, but it's so familiar, you're bored out of your mind. There's nothing new. And if anything else came along, you're there. You might be extremely good at what you're doing, but it's so mundane. It might even be a high-skilled job, but you're so good at it, it doesn't take any effort for you anymore. You're just bored. That's dangerous because now you get distracted. Here's how it plays out in the church. You know exactly what time you need to walk in. You know exactly when you need to get to your seat. You know exactly how long the music is going to take. You've listened to the song enough time. You're going to go, oh, he's about to go here. This is, oh, we're going to do drums only. Oh, he's going to have the congregation sing. Oh, Watch what happens. I know exactly what's going to happen in this song. He's going to say this line that's not in the song, but he says it every single time he does it. And he, but here's what happens. The worship has become so normal to you, you've disconnected it, and now you're analyzing it. You're bored. 
You shut yourself off from God because God's, God's miraculous provision in your life has become ordinary. And maybe you're in a season of committed service. Now, do you see how the central message hasn't changed? But it's moved from who I am to the days I'm in. Do you understand what I mean? The central message is the same. Hasn't changed. The application has changed a little bit. But it's still the same thing. Sometimes it's individuals who are just the representation of the soil. It's just kind of who they are. Sometimes it's me personally. Sometimes it's just the season that I'm in. I may be struggling. I may be, I may be wanting to be open to God, but the season that I'm in just is not letting me do it. I want to be committed, but the season I'm in at my job has me so busy I can't be committed. Do you see the difference? Sometimes things just happen, and they don't always happen the way we want them to. So Jesus is trying to illustrate a point that the disciples are supposed to be working, but it is not up to them to determine how that work is going to finish. It's not up to you how it concludes. You're just supposed to do the work. And then Jesus talks to them and he says, this is why I'm teaching in parables. Now, when the disciples say, why teach in parables? They're doing more than just asking a simple question. They're really asking, why are you making this so difficult? You were teaching very plain before. Why are you making this so difficult? Now, one of the... uh, uh, one day, quite a while ago, Samantha and I were, uh, were talking about Bible and theology. And um, I love the, the, the academic theological side of things. I just really do. I love getting into the language. I love getting into the history. I love getting into the, to the hermeneutics. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of fun for me. And we're talking about it. And I don't even remember what specifically we were talking about. But I remember being really proud of myself for the level of understanding that I had. And how I was able to discern such a difficult topic. I was trying to be impressive. And Samantha looked at me, and she goes, that's interesting, but I don't think God meant it to be that difficult. I think you're really just making it more difficult than it needs to be. It should just, should just mean what it says. <laughs> Lord, this woman you gave me. I was still proud of myself. <laughs> but what she said was absolutely true. Here's, there's a danger in, in high-end theological academics. And I'm saying this as someone who appreciates high-end theological academics. We can just as... So ignorance can make the Bible say what it doesn't say. But intellectualism can do the same thing. You have to understand one important thing when you're dealing with scripture, and that is Jesus is, the, the scripture is written to people who typically didn't even know how to read. It was written in a way where when it was spoken, it could be understood clearly. So that's why this, this like secret information between the lines, I was praying and the Holy Spirit told me that this, this meant this. That, that's great, more power to you. How about we just read it? Try to understand what it meant to the people that God was talking to and take that truth and apply it.
But Jesus is saying that we need to do something a little bit different today. When I read this section, like I said, this is one of, this is one of those sections. So when Jesus is talking about the reason why he's teaching in parables, he's going to do something that is very common in that time period that we don't necessarily catch a lot today. He's going to tell us, because I'm going to read this to you in a second. He's going to tell us what the effect is before he tells us what the cause is. Okay? It's a very common teaching method back then, but we don't necessarily do this today. He's going to tell us what, what happened, and then he's going to tell us why it happened. We normally we want cause before effect. This is backwards, just so they understand when we're reading this. And Jesus is going to quote a section in Isaiah. And what I want to do is I want to read the passage in Isaiah because it's worded slightly different. And then I'm going to read you the passage in Matthew. And I want to emphasize the difference between the two when I'm reading the passage in Matthew. And hopefully this becomes really clear as to why I wanted to read both of these. So this is in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. It's only three verses. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing. Now, you have, you have to understand this. This is not a judgment, okay? Please understand this. This is not God giving Isaiah a judgment to bring to his people. I want you to read the frustration in the voice of the Lord when he's giving Isaiah this. He says, go tell this people, keep on hearing and don't understand. Keep on seeing and don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, their shut eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand in the heart and return and be healed. Let me say that in a different way. Keep on going and don't listen to anything that I say. Keep on going and pay no attention to the things that I'm doing because God forbid you hear and see and respond and be healed and be made whole. Heaven forbid I do what I say I'm going to do because your eyes are closed and your ears are shut and you're so stupid. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is quoting this passage, but he's showing you the other side. So remember, we're talking about effect and then cause. So Jesus starts in verse 9. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. I hope you understand how important that is. If you were born with ears on your head and they work, please listen. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now listen, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For, their, for the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. But now listen, but blessed are your eyes for they see and bless and your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. It sounds like there's a judgment on the people of God to not hear and to not see. That's not what he's saying. Prophets and righteous men want to see these things, but they can't. Is that because God has made them incapable of seeing or hearing? No. They have closed their eyes. They have shut their ears. They have decided what God is going to do. They have decided what church looks like. They have decided what Christianity looks like. They have decided what worship is supposed to be. They've decided what prayer is supposed to be. They have determined in great detail everything about our faith. And if anything different comes, they are closed to it. And Jesus represented a departure from everything they believed. They couldn't see it because he was not what they wanted him to be. So Jesus speaks in parables, and this is why. A sheep will see the parable and dig into it. A goat will walk away. God's people, my sheep, hear my voice. What do we hear here? For whoever has, to him more will be given. If you have any faith... And you're willing to look into the things of God. More will be given to you. But if all you want is the benefit of a relationship with God. You don't actually want the relationship itself. Even what you have will be taken from you. See here's the deal. For Isaiah. There were people. Who would listen to his words. And not respond. He is bringing the power of God in unimaginable ways. People still didn't repent, still didn't come to faith. And here's the more amazing thing. Jesus would speak to crowds. He's bringing the God, the living gospel is bringing the gospel to people and there were people in those crowds that didn't get saved. Jesus brought them the gospel and they didn't respond. Why would we think? <laughs> I know people didn't respond when Jesus brought the gospel, but have you ever heard me do it? <laughs> How ridiculous to think that we will get 100% return on everything that we do in the kingdom of God. We are supposed to travel the world and sow seeds. But here's the other side. When God moves, his sheep respond. The goats don't. This is what I mean by parables begin the process of sorting the sheep from the goats. The sheep respond. I need to know more about what this man is saying. I'm going to dig in. The goat is like, wow, that was weird. And he goes on his life. 
I don't know what I was supposed to get out of that, but I come to church every Sunday. And that, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I come to church every Sunday. I only swear a little during the week. Except on golf nights. And that's different. <laughs> golf backwards is flogged. So, I mean, it really, it's just it's supposed to be a, a method of torture. Golf is one of those few games where you love to hate it. If you play, you know exactly what I mean. I think this is one of the things, and this is what I mean by this is a very sobering piece of scripture. As Christians, I, I, I want you to, to think about this. This isn't an accusation for me at all, okay? I'm, I'm your pastor. I, I stand up here and I get to see you guys every week, but this is not me trying to, trying to prove some sort of point. But let me ask you something. We're in the midst of worship. Do you respond? Or is it just something you're just waiting out? Eventually, this music will end. When God's word is presented... Do you respond? And what I mean by, are you thinking about it throughout the week? Are you, are you trying to figure out what we talk about today and add it to your life? Or are you just glad the service is over, you can get to lunch, forget about church for the rest of the week, and then come back and then try to get holy again? You see, God's people respond. Their ears are open. They hear. And they see. Can I say that one more time? God's people's eyes are open and they see. Their ears are open and they hear. What that means is they get it and they respond. Jesus ended up with the 12 disciples, right? Now we know that he called more than 12. We're only told the names of the 12 because those are the ones he ended up with. But we also know he walked with hundreds. Hundreds of people followed him. I know the chosen, the number in the chosen is totally wrong. And there were times where he taught and you'll read and many disciples left that day. Why? Because it got hard. They weren't committed to the path. The 12 he ended up with were the 12, now listen, were the 12 that stayed. They didn't just hear the call and respond. They heard, the, they heard the call and committed. That's what we're supposed to do. That's who we're supposed to be. We're a kingdom of priests. We're not called to come together in a, in a building, gather, and then, you know, beef up my ego. I just love looking out on so many faces. It's so wonderful. It's got nothing to do with it. I do like it when new people come up and they preach for the first time and they get up here and they're like, ah, this, is, this is not good. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Before Jill spoke, I had her get up here in, in, front, of the, in, in front of an empty room. Because normally she's giving an announcement down there. That's, this is a safe zone. Because you really, when you're short, especially you can't see anything except like a couple of heads in the first few rows. And then you get up here and everyone's just kind of staring at you. You know, it'd be easier to preach if no one was looking at me. <laughs> What's that? We turned chairs around, yeah. Works out really good. COVID was great. Just preached to a camera. <laughs> Missed that virus. No, I'm kidding. It's just, no, I'm kidding. It's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. I'm closing. I promise. 
We are, we are not called to be observers. Okay? We're not called to be observers. We're called to be doers. We're called to be sowers. We're called to be workers. We're called to respond to the movement of God. And I would challenge you throughout this week, ask yourself, are you responding? Or are you just happy listening? Because if you're just happy listening, it's not a safe place to be. That's what the, how the Bible describes a goat. Just there. We're supposed to be more. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing in our lives. And I ask that you would challenge us as we continue on in this process that we don't just be hearers of the word, but we be doers. That we learn to respond to the movement of God. We learn to respond to what it is you are having us do and that we commit for the long term. That we don't just commit for today or for the length of this project, Lord. When we finish something, we move on to what's next because that's what you've asked us to do. We thank you, Father. Show us where this fits into our life and how we can best, best execute it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.